Welcome to Tripod, Improved Photography's Nature Photography Show. This show is for the weekend photo warriors, the wave a flashlight around in the black of nighters, and the F-16 users. This is Tripod. Hey everybody and welcome back to Tripod. Today I'm on with my friend Majid Badazadigan and today we're going to talk a little bit about low-level lighting, which seems to be the new phrase du jour, but it's really just light painting, um, but just kind of along the landscape, um, uh, just usually close to you. Usually when people are talking about low-level lighting as opposed to light painting, um, we're talking about like kind of setting up a light that feels more... um, more uh, naturally placed, and and uh, it's just providing just this little kiss of lighting across the landscape while you're shooting night photography. Um, so, Majid, I, I usually don't see a ton of night photography from you. Yeah, um, I, I'll do it here and there, um, and really the kind of the window is tight anyway for when you can do night photography, uh-huh. like when the best part of the Milky Way is showing. Um, and that's one of the, and that's usually while you're sleeping. Yeah. definitely. (laughs) Um, and a lot of elements have to line up. So, um, it's ideal if it's moonless. Um, so it's really dark. You have to be away from the city. You know, there's a lot of variables to Mm -hmm. get nice and bright Milky way. And then the position of the Milky way in the sky. So I only probably get a few opportunities a year to Uh shoot the night sky. Um, so it's one of those things where you have to keep your skills, kind of sharp or your photos won't be <laughs> right <laughs> run into that um in fact um i laugh but it's a little bit painful because we um last time nick and i were in um iceland and we were shooting we had this moon rainbow over um a glacier so uh-huh. basically a, a small like um uh, rainstorm was happening right over the top of a glacier creating this moon rainbow yeah and then there was also um a sliver of aurora in the sky that's awesome so all of this in one one shot um, a moon rainbow glacier and aurora and because i had not been shooting at night my all my photos were a little bit out of focus oh man yeah so um it's definitely it's definitely something you want to make sure you know you you're comfortable with all your camera settings before going out and potentially missing like an awesome shot like that. So, uh, yeah, that's, I've, I've, I think everybody's done there. Uh, everybody's been there. If you do any night photography at all, you've ruined a shoot. I, everybody mm-hmm. has done it. Same for landscapes, but I think especially for night photography, it's just easy to make small mistakes that totally ruin the, the, the shoot, especially focusing at night. It's just, it's something that's easily missed. Uh, if you're off by just a hair, it just doesn't look quite right. And it might look good on the back of your camera and you're like excited about the shot. And then you come back and look at the 30 megapixel file and you're like, what was I, what was I doing? Yeah, it's true. You know, I think one reason that's so hard because that's definitely happened to me where like I look at it you know, paying close attention on the back of the camera after I shoot the photo to make sure I got the sharpness, got the focus just right. And you even zoom in on the photo, but you're shooting at high ISOs. And when you shoot at high ISOs, it removes detail from the photo. It's just not going to look as sharp as it normally does. And so sometimes even with your, when you're zoomed in, if it's a camera, you're not really used to seeing the files from at night 
you can still be a little unsure if it's quite sharp or not because right. you're not. Hey, did I miss my focus or is this just what it looks like high ISO? Yeah, and I think that was kind of the the okay. Got need to figure this out. Um, can't just like wing it or try to figure out focus on the fly, um, which sounds you know like something like fairly amateurish. But I but I think if you don't shoot the night that often. It's it's a different animal. It's a different beast than shooting during the day. Um, and there's m- more things that you need to consider. Yeah, you know, during shooting during the day, you can just look at the back of your LCD and you're going to be pretty good. Uh, you know, I don't feel myself like needing to look at the histogram every five minutes when I shoot during the day uh, at night because, you know, you, you get a, a feel for what your LCDs look like uh, and you can look at the LCD and you'll be fine. Uh, That's one of the things that'll burn you at night is yep. looking at your screen, um, liking your, your LCD on your camera to a light bulb and... You're staring literally at a light bulb in the dark. So your photo is going to look bright no matter how underexposed it is probably because in comparison to the complete darkness surrounding you, you're staring at a light bulb. But what you need to do is look at the histogram and be really familiar with your camera's um, ability to retain shadow detail and that type of thing. Um, That's one of the biggest snags I think in night shooting in general is, is just not looking at the histogram yeah i totally agree during the day i i feel fine looking at the lcd most of the time but at night it's not an option you have to look at the histogram one of the things that i'll do um and this probably isn't new news to anybody who's um a seasoned night shooter um but on the a7r2 all um live view focus and the sensor is the sony a7r2 sensor is actually sensitive enough that a bright star will show up when um, I'm magnifying in live view. So I can actually manually focus on a bright star in the sky, for example. And if I'm a little bit past focus, if I focus beyond the stars or um, focused in front of the stars, that the star is going to be a little bit bigger. But when it's at its sharpest, the the star is at the smallest point. So Mm -hmm. um, that's one thing that has helped me or any object that has any contrast in a scene. Um, when you have like one of the things that's really tough um, and why you really need to know your equipment is not every camera. In fact, most cameras are not that capable capable as far as their live view goes. Like um, I, you know, I had a participant on one of our workshops that was trying to focus at night with a Nikon and an Nikon has very poor um, viewfinder. Um, not viewfinder, but it has a poor kind of LCD screen. It's not really showing anything. It's like when you're sitting in complete darkness, it really is a challenge to get focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is uh, a difficulty of focusing using live view is because live view has to have a faster frame rate than, than what you're shooting at. Uh, You know, if the live view were had a 15 second shutter speed to produce that video that you're seeing, uh, it would just be a blurry mess. Right. Uh, So it has a faster frame rate, you know, to create video, you know, 60 you know 30 frames per second or whatever it is and so when you're trying to bring in as much light as possible and see what you're shooting it's tough to do 
I saw a test, I guess it's been about a year ago, on Lens Rental's blog, and they do an awesome, really in-depth technical stuff on their blog. And they did a test uh, with several, you know, very experienced photographers, and they had them manually focus a lens, you know, zooming in on live view, trying to get this just perfectly right, um, and they tested the sharpness of the images, and then they did the same test with autofocus, and autofocus just destroyed the manual focus. Uh, nobody yes. could manual focus as good as the camera could autofocus. And it's true wow. when you're, you know, when you're zoomed in on star like you were talking about, and you're turning the focus ring, you're like, eh, you know, I guess it's good here, a little bit better. I mean, there's a lot of, you're just, you're trying to get it quite right, but it's not like super obvious this is the precise spot, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, boy, if you have- done at night? Sorry? Were those tests done at night? No, they were done during the day, during the day okay. on a on a focus chart. Uh, so I'm kind of old school. Like I have all these like access to all these crazy autofocus points and that type of thing, and I still like typically manually focus um, when I'm on a tripod. Um, but I've I've heard that I've heard a lot of people will um, completely trust the autofocus system, and mm-hmm. I feel like kind of like a. The, the old guy, get off my lawn, autofocus. I'll be, I'll be in charge of this. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go back to, to large format. and <laughs> yeah. 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 No, in that in that test, the autofocus destroyed. And I, I believe it because, you know, especially at night where you're turning that and you're just, it's really tough. So I try, if you have a camera like the Fuji X-T2 and X-Pro2, holy crap, their low light focus is incredible. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Uh, So if you have a camera like that, that can just autofocus at night, um, and man, I've taken those cameras to some very dark landscapes and it found focus. It's really incredible. Which is, yeah, an incredible feat of technology, honestly. Yeah, they're they're tremendous. Then, Then use it if you can. The Sony is good at night uh but still not great and the canon and nikons the dslrs really struggle uh with focus at night you it's tough Uh, if you have the moon out you're like set because you any camera can autofocus on the moon Uh, so autofocus on the moon if that's a possibility or a very distant you know city light or something like that Uh, but if you've got to go manual it's just a little bit tough it takes some practice one thing too that you can do is mark the spot on your lens that is the um just a a tiny little uh non like non-permanent marker or whatever right at the exact point on the manual focus ring where you stars would be in focus or where um because essentially like if you crank the manual focus all the way past infinity you're going to be usually on most lenses beyond um beyond what's going to be in focus. It's going to be a little bit of out of focus or, um, so usually the sweet spot, um, at least on my Canon lenses is right about where infinity starts. So just knowing your equipment and knowing your lenses. So if you do have a DSLR and you don't have great live view that you can really get that very close to or dialed in just because you've done a little bit of prep work and figured that out before the shoot. That's a good idea. I should do that. I, I usually have a, you know, like a label maker that I'll put on my lenses, my name and phone number in case it's ever lost. Uh, I should just put, place that label like right, you know, right there on the spot and then just mark on that label. 
I don't know why I didn't. Majid, you're genius. I don't know why I didn't think of that before, but I haven't done that. I should I can't do that. Wait to see your lens with like 18, 18 different labels. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> 10 meters, 20 Did meters. Drop, drop a lens. Oh, it's just Jim's lens. Yeah. <laughs> it's, got, it's got 25 labels on it. <laughs> uh, but on another reason this is easier on a, on a mirrorless camera is on a mirrorless camera, you know, you'll get your focus scale in the in your viewfinder or in your live view and it will just show you when you're focused to infinity now on a dslr lens they often have this this focus meter as well just on the top of the lens you know you'll see that go to infinity don't trust it it's just oh it's always wrong they're never right um but uh but on a mirrorless camera because it's getting that information straight from the sensor it can just give it to you right i think that that you're, when we're talking kind of just about light painting or ambient light at night, um, that's something like if you have the luxury of either of those two, like you can focus a little bit easier. Um, but if you're in complete darkness, it is really tough. Like it is really tough to find focus and, and dial that in. What's your favorite um, type of ambient light or light painting to do at night? Good point. We got a little distracted, didn't we? <laughs> this is supposed to be about about lighting, and we've talked about focus. Um, okay, so I keep switching a little bit. What what uh, my approach to this? Um, I have used this really cool little light. It's actually an an action cam light, uh, like for GoPros and stuff. Um, and it's tiny. It has a battery that lasts like 20 hours. It's waterproof. Um, it, it's just this incredible little light. It's not very expensive. And I have a review of it on improved photography. I'm going to try to find the name of it uh, as we're talking here. Um, but it's it's this incredible little light uh, from a kind of a no-name camera and or a no-name manufacturer and I, I usually use that. I like that it's daylight balanced. I know some people prefer other things I, I just like daylight balanced uh, even for night photos maybe just a tiny bit warmer uh, but I, I like things that are pretty pretty neutral um, so I, I like that one it has four different steps of of brightness um, which is good but it could go even darker uh, I mean some usually when I go out to a landscape somebody always busts out this like giant bazooka of a light and it's like holy crap i mean when you're shooting at 32 or 3200 iso <laughs> it's just gonna blow out your shot the, the last time i was at uh palouse falls have you been to palouse falls yeah in um washington this is this this mega like 200 foot waterfall inside this enormous canyon that goes pretty much as far as the eye can see and somebody literally brought brought like a spotlight awesome like when and they just and and this thing was like dispersed light over the entire canyon uh-huh. and um and it was like you know there was like 15 photographers there and, and it was it was nice because you could see in there but like what if you don't want you know right the 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 whole canyon lit up from an artificial light source like uh-huh so that's something that that maybe we, we can touch on as well as like if if there's a bunch of other people and yeah you're the guy there with the laser pointer or whatever like drawing smiley faces on 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Almost every time I do night night photography in a group, it's like people jump right to the light painting and it's just like, can we have just a couple minutes with no light on? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in, anyway, I've, I've been using this little action cam light and in uh, Utah last week, uh, I was shooting with some of the writers and a few Improved Photography Plus members, just a tiny group of us. It was really fun. Um, we were shooting this hoodoo, which is this kind of weird little rock formation with a little tree coming off the side, the spots in our GPS. Anyway, um, if I set the light up there on its lowest light setting and it was just, it looked very unnatural. And so we scooted it back 20 feet and shot and it looked unnatural. And eventually it was on the lowest light setting, like this little tiny glimmer of light coming from this thing. And I set it about a hundred yards away and it, it really worked. Like everything looked very natural. It provided that little kiss of light uh, on things and gave a little bit of directionality to the light. Uh, and it was, it was really cool. But for me, usually the way that I like to do it, it's like this tiny, tiny minimalist kiss of light uh, that, that I find works. Yeah. And I would agree. I think it's really, really, really easy to overdo light painting. And being that it is an artificial light source, already um white balance can become an issue as well like it kind of looks like um if you're using just a standard led phone light to light paint then it kind of looks like your whole scene is lit up with fluorescent light so the challenge becomes to me um trying to make it look natural um i'm not always successful at it um and my my preference if I know I'm going to be shooting um, a night scene that involves the Milky Way, um, which is my main interest in night photography is Milky Way photography. Um, but if I go somewhere, I like to arrive at least um, an hour, like at the very latest, an hour after sunset and try to set up, you know, use photography apps like um, PhotoPills or um, photographers ephemeris um, and just try to figure out where the Milky Way is going to be and um, set up my composition and take a shot in the twilight hour and then a couple hours later it's pitch black dark but my tripod hasn't moved and then the stars are out and then I can retain the shadow detail um, uh-huh. in the whole scene um, without compromising um image quality as much so maybe it's like a you know an iso 400 eight second exposure at twilight combined with um, a milky way exposure later that evening and combined in photoshop yeah yeah i i like that very much i one thing that i often do that's uh the, the, or the reason that I like the daylight you mentioned about, you know, things kind of look a little fluorescent, a little bit too, uh, too fakey. Kind of the reason that I always kind of gravitate toward daylight, white balanced uh, lighting, if I'm doing any light painting is because I like the look of that really blue sky, you know, that rich blue sky uh, at nighttime. And so if you're shooting with kind of a, a, with a blue light on the foreground, then you can uh, kind of 
you can kind of warm up that that white balance in the in the front. I, I guess you could do this with any. Uh, so you could kind of warm up that light, that light balance usually in in Lightroom or something, and then just kind of cool down that sky. Yeah, I argue with myself. I I'm not right. I should be using you know, a warmer light balance, and because then I could cool it down for everything. Majid, I, I, I argue really with funny. me. I think <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> I've always thought it was one of the uh, funny peculiarities with photographers is there's no um, there's no agreed upon white balance for what the night sky should look like. Uh-huh. Um, when I first started um, shooting, um, I'm like, well, when I'm out and shooting stars, I experience the sky as black with white dots on it. Yep. So my white balance was closer to daylight and reflected black with white dots on it. But you'll see these very blue skies, sometimes purple skies, yep. you know, very um, artistic interpretations. And, you know, it's it's um, one of the things I think that in photography, especially night photography, especially we've given that latitude uh-huh. um, for some reason. Well, I think you kind of have to have it because your eye can't yeah. even see what the camera is seeing. Yeah, exactly. You know, your eye, when you go outside and you're going to shoot the Milky Way, it's just like this tiny little gray haze. You can't really even see much of it. Um, you just, usually I kind of spin around until I see a gray haze in the sky. I'm like, there it is. Because I don't we, know anything about we've astronomy. All, we've all seen like the, um, the amazing Milky Way images. Like uh, Michael Shane Bloom comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, really good night photographer. Um, who shoots a lot of Sony cameras that with low ISO with really good high ISO performance. Um, but what's important to understand, especially if you're new to night shooting is that's not really what your eye sees as uh-huh. Jim's alluding to. Um, the closest you'll ever get to an experience where you're seeing a bright and vivid Milky way is when you're in like a true, true dark area, like somewhere that's, 50 miles, 100 miles away from a big city or significant light source. Mm-hmm. And then you should be able to see some detail in the Milky Way, some detail. But most of the time, if there's any light pollution, if you live in the United States, you're probably close to light pollution. So if you can see the Milky Way, it's probably not the full um, visual spectrum of what you'd see if you were like out in the dark on a moonless night. Yeah, and especially you know, it depends a lot on the time of year, and you got to be out there at the right time, and 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 all that stuff. Uh, There's a website called Dark um, Dark Sky Finder. Yeah, Dark Sky Finder, um, which shows the basically the worldwide pollution map, and mm-hmm. you can pick areas that don't have a lot of light pollution. It's kind of cool um, if you're planning a night shoot. Like, well, I'll I'll just go here, and then I'll be able to see the stars better. Yeah. I I thought the same thing when I shot the Aurora for the first time. Um, you know, uh, I, you know, I'd never seen it before. I wasn't really sure what I would see, but I had seen these incredible time lapses of of this green light dancing around in the sky, and it does look like that through a camera's lens. Uh, but with your naked eye, it's a little underwhelming uh, to just just see the aurora. It's just kind of looks like you know that green greenish gray haze in the sky, and you're like, oh, okay, interesting. But through a camera. <laughs> it's just wow it's just incredible when you take a photo of it because you can see all that vibrant green and purple and it's just amazing but only through a camera's lens that is a really good point um when you're hunting aurora 
and you're like, I think there's going to be Aurora. And then you, you start to get that, the glimpse of it with, with the eye, there's definitely a rush because there's, it's never a guarantee. Um, just like when you're hunting anything else, like if, if you're hunting Aurora, um, a lot of elements need to line up um, yep. for you to be able to see it. Um, we, we had, um, in one of the Iceland workshops we did, um, 2016, um, we had Aurora so strong that there was direct moonlight and you could still see it in the sky Wow! for, yeah. for a moment. Um, and I think if you're really far north and somewhere like Iceland and it's dark outside, um, and it's a strong storm, then you, then it may be a more impressive display. What was the strength of storm and where were you when you saw it? Yeah, actually, it was similar conditions. It was in Iceland, and there were this, the moon was just rising. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the photos that I took of it uh, at Kirkufell, a lot of people said, wow, how do you see the aurora at sunrise? Because the moon rising over the, you know, it kind of made that orange light kind of coming over, yeah. and everybody thought it was the sunrise. But no, it was the moon rising. Uh, but yeah, you could you could still see that aurora. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the tough things as well is like, with light pollution yeah the moon the moon is like a big spotlight on the entire earth if you're out trying to shoot aurora it can definitely spoil a shot or um wash it out i think that's what what i remember when i went back and worked on my file from that show is like uh from that aurora display um i say show like it's like that 70s show or something (laughs) (laughs) Uh, hey turn on that show again that was pretty good i'm pretty good i'll watch it again um catch it on netflix but i remember just needing to add a lot of contrast just because of the moon but but it was really nice the the luxury of that was i was able to get aurora and the um the whole landscape was kind of filled with this nice like moonlight Mm -hmm. so it was a clean shot for the night um and like you know as we talk about like the the night shooting and all that that there is with night shooting i think one of the hard things is, okay, you're in a scenario where you're in a moonless night and you're, you have this vast landscape in front of you, but it's pitch black dark mm-hmm. and you haven't, maybe you haven't arrived on location um, early to do a twilight blend or that's not something you're interested in doing um, or whatever reason. So what, what do you do in that case? Like what, what do you recommend somebody does? Um, let's say they've arrived to, um, a lake at midnight and it's moonless and you can see the Milky way. What's the best approach to, to do the lighting? Yeah. What, what, what are you going to do in that case? Well, I guess the first thing that helps me is, um, to realize that the light falls off fast. Um, and so the further away you can put your light from the landscape, the more natural it's going to look. Uh, if you, so for example, if I have a weak light really up close versus a very strong light, but way far away, I'm going to choose the strong light that's far away. Um, uh, you know, you can tell if we have this little T light in front of you, it looks way brighter right next to it than it does five, uh, five feet away. Right. And so that's what you want. You want to put the light far enough away for the brightness of it, uh, that you're to the point of the, of the way the light is falling, where it's falling, where it's, uh, it's decreasing in brightness at a very slow pace now. Um, so that, uh, so that you really, so it feels much more natural. 
So I, in Utah last week again, uh, Jeremiah Barber went out and shot with, shot with us. He's the guy that uh, invented the thingama, the tripod wrench. And uh, he had tea lights, like, you know, little LED tea lights. You know, well, tea lights, yeah, like little electric ones, though. Um, and he used those. It was kind of cool because sometimes you do want a light source from different angles. You know, often you want it all the same angle so it looks really, really natural. But sometimes if you have different light sources in there, you can't really tell and you can still make it look cool, just like if you were using more than one flash in a portrait. And he was uh, setting out those tea lights uh, in different areas just so that there was just this tiny little kiss uh, of light all over all over the landscape. And I, I thought that was really cool. I'm anxious to try that out. Yeah, I think you can. Um, I'm kind of visualizing too, like coming to that lake or whatever in the middle of the night. And, you know, if there's a tree line, hopefully um, maybe I can shine my headlamp and get focus on that tree line, mm-hmm. um, whether, whether it's through the viewfinder or whether it's through live view. So I know that my focus is good. Um, and then as you said, the light fall off from something like a spotlight, like on my headlamp, um, would be blinding if you looked at it in the middle of the night, like head on, um, with all of its brightness. But if it's, if the tree line is 200 or 300 or 400 yards away, um, then that light really scatters and disperses and you know we live in the digital age of photography so if you take a photo and you overexpose it's not the end of the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) just um you can change your technique i know that my headlamp um has a nice feature where you can dim it so um that's one thing you could do is is dim the light that you have like um one thing that one mistake i see or or um maybe something that would be an easy low hanging fruit is to think in terms of like, like, well, it, it looks like a, a bright light source to you, right? Like this flashlight, but that's really overpowering if you're shooting a night shot, like at ISO 3200 at 20 seconds. Um, so it looks like a bright light source to your eye. Um, one easy th- thing that I um, could see a lot of people do that would help their light painting is to really like, try to back off on the light painting, mm-hmm. um, try to make it look more natural. So dim the light or um, one thing um, I'll do is quickly paint the scene with a bright light and then turn it off and let the exposure run. Um, just real, just give it that kiss of light versus the, the kind of the floodlight. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's okay. You know, I mean, it's a, just a different technique. Some people like to kind of in your face light painting and stuff where you're, yeah. you know, moving a flashlight around and stuff. I think it's cause sometimes a really cool look, but I don't really love it for landscapes. I'm showing or, my bias here as a landscape photographer. Yeah, And this is tripod. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and just gravitating towards the natural um, landscape. And you know what, like what we described or what, what I described earlier with the twilight blend where you're arriving on location that requires some dedication and planning to a specific shot. And, uh, that's, that's kind of, you know, it's like, like, it's a lot of, I remember the last time I did it, I'm like, wow, I'm just kind of sitting here for like three or four hours. Like, why am I doing this? Uh-huh. Like, I'm just waiting for the Milky way. Like, um, I'm out of cell service. Um, 
you know, like this, this kind of sucks. But at the same time, the photo that I got, like I had clean shadows in. So the things we do for, um, for a photography, right? Yep. Yep. It's true. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's, it is a lot of planning for night photography, but that's kind of the cool thing is you can plan a night photo shoot much better than you can a day photo shoot. You know, you can plan as much as you can and still a cloud comes over the sun right at sunset and it's, there's just not really any light just kind of ends. Um, but for, you know, the Milky Way, you know, usually it's easier to predict that there are just going to be no clouds in the sky. And so it's, it's pretty easy to plan a night, a night shoot and rely on kind of what you're getting. Sometimes there are little surprises, you know, a storm moves further north than you think, and you get a little covered <laughs> up or whatever, but, but it's easier to predict just no clouds. And so it's, uh, I, I like it for that reason. It's pretty predictable what's going to happen. Yeah, just get some lightning bolts in your Milky Way shot. No big deal. Right, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, just, just adapt to the situation. Um, and one thing I, I don't think we talked about is like, well, we kind of talked about it with the the Aurora Iceland example, but the moon is actually an interesting light source for night photography because the moon is at different points in the sky. And it's also at different levels of brightness. So a full moon directly overhead um, in the middle of the night is going to be kind of your enemy when shooting the Milky Way, but you can, but if it's low in the sky and it's a uh, crescent moon, it's a, uh, it's in its um, waning phase. You're looking at like a very, a much dimmer light source mm-hmm. that is giving angular light to the landscape. And you can kind of apply the same concept. Like you could get there right as the moon is setting and capture that light on the landscape and then capture the stars yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, moonlighting is usually what everybody just wants to avoid in in landscapes, you know, or or in night photography. Which is usually, funny to it's me just that's actually natural. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, we're looking for just like moonless night, shoot yeah. the Milky Way uh, yeah. at night. But sometimes the moon could be really neat. And as I mentioned before, when you get the moon rising and there, you know, little clouds and stuff there, it can look a lot like a sunrise or a sunset. You know, yeah, not they- as giant, vibrant. It's not going to reach as far to those clouds, but you can get real sunrise or moonrise moonset lighting kind of like a sunrise i just can't help but i always think about crater lake when i'm talking about night photography um because it is one of the best spots crater lake in oregon um in the u.s basically this huge lake with this like caldera in the middle called wizard island Mm -hmm. and i'm thinking like no matter what how big your light source is you're not casting a shadow off of wizard island but the moon will if you're if you're there at the right time of year um, and the moon is low enough in the sky, you get a really cool lighting effect where essentially the the moon is casting a shadow over the lake of um, basically this the cinder um, cone in the middle of the lake. Um, so there are some interesting things that you can do with it. And I think the same general rules apply is like. You don't want like necessarily a super washed out or, or bright or unnatural looking, but it's something where you can, you know, get a cleaner exposure than complete darkness. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. It's it's sometimes interesting, but I will also say that if you shoot if you shoot the moon when it's just clear up in the sky and you expose the photo enough, it's indistinguishable from daylight. 
I, I mean, it just looks like a daylight yeah. photo. I mean, you can't tell the difference. Uh, I, how will I post this so people will see? I'll, I'll put this in the show notes or something. Um, I, I have a photo that I did that. I shot it exactly at midnight and exactly at noon. And the only way you can tell which is which <laughs> is because one, you can also see a couple stars in the sky. It's like, it looks exactly the same. If you really expose a moonlit shot, you know, that's like what's awesome, Jim, is like you take it a step further than most people. You like will go out and just to prove a point, you're going you're gonna to take the exact same picture. Yes. In, in the middle of the night. And, and you're going to post it on your blog and you're going to say, see? See, told you. <laughs> told you. It was right next to our camping spot uh, in Glacier National. Uh, Glacier? Glacier. Uh, when I went and shot with the group there and, uh, and, and anyway, it was right next to our camping spot. So we shot it at night. And then the next day I was, I was walking past it. And I thought, let's get a shot here. You get this. You know, get this I, I think the readers will like this. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, um, I, I guess the, we've talked about a lot of night photography topics, but with the low level lighting, I, I guess my tips, everybody's going to have your favorite thing. You could get a, a uh, light panel, uh, which uh, Kirk Bergman used um, in in Southern Utah. He's one of the writers on the site, um, and and that worked really well. Putting a, just a light panel, you know, like you would use for um, uh, for you know flash photography, product photography, just a constant light uh, that was battery powered. And he put it just way far away and just on a very dim flicker of a light. And then he kind of angled it up so it was just uh, just feathering that light away so it wasn't directly hitting on the landscape. And that worked. The T lights work. You can get the action cam light that uh, that I talked about. A cell phone light works just fine. You can really use a lot of different things. It's going to be a lot of just personal preference uh, for how you want it. To to me, but I guess the one thing that I want to encourage people to do though, is if you've just been using a flashlight or uh, a bazooka of a light, um, <laughs> which always makes me cringe a little bit, but there are some situations that's okay. Anyway, um, it, try something really dim, just a little light and put it far away and see, see if you like it. One thing you can do also is you can get a cell phone app that essentially allows you to pick different colors on the screen Ooh, and then yeah. you can the screen um, to experiment with white balances. So so if you cast like an orange light over your scene, um, then the white balance is going to register differently than if you're casting fluorescent light. So the different qualities of light are also interesting to play with. Very interesting. Do you know what app does that by chance? Offhand? Um, there's a few of them in the app store. Let me see. I uh, haven't heard of that, and that sounds like a good solution for me, because I yeah. I do like using the cell phone light, but I've I've been using you know the the flashes light and not the not the screen. The screen would be much dimmer. I like that. Yeah, it's much dimmer, and you have control so um, over the colors. Um, I don't know exactly what the app name is. Um, but we can post it in the show notes. Okay, sounds good. Well, Majid, it was awesome uh, talking with you a little bit about night photography, especially as the winter is is coming on. Uh, sometimes, approaching. sometimes uh, you know, the the night sky can look really nice in the winter. We don't get as much uh, of the Milky Way, uh, mm-hmm. but it, sometimes it's in. 
I don't know, sometimes it just seems fitting uh, for a snowy landscape, especially because snowy landscapes sometimes just, you know, it kind of hides the texture of the earth. And so having more shadows and stuff rolling over it at night can be interesting. So it's something that I I always kind of gravitate toward during the winter months. Uh, But where can people find you online? Um, I'm on Instagram at... um just if you search Majid, M-A-J-E-E-D, I'm the one with the really long name. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Flashlight, actually. Um, just Flashlight? I they, yeah, I don't know how they got away with that one. Okay. Uh, I haven't used it in a really long time, but I used to use like orange light when I was light painting and just kind of walk into a scene. Um, I mean, you have 20 seconds or 30 seconds at night and just kind of paint the landscape and then get out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very so. cool. Well, good talking with you and great talking with you. We will see you in the next episode.